Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. In today's show, we're interviewing Bob Frazier, the co-founder and CFO of Aspen Funds. Now, Aspen Funds operates several private investment funds in real estate notes specifically for accredited investors, offering a real estate-backed opportunity with low volatility, high returns, and comparatively high liquidity. Now, here at The Money Advantage, we are a community of wealth creators who have this entrepreneurial mindset and we're business owners taking control of our lives and financial destiny. Now, we know it's not enough just to make a great income because you have to figure out how to keep more of the money you make, protect that money, and then invest it specifically in cash flowing assets so that you can increase your income. Now, that's why we put together the three-step model for business owners to help them create time and money freedom. Now, today's conversation is going to help you look at a way to invest in a way that's aligned with your unique abilities producing value for people, and putting your money to work earning a cash flow return. So here's a little bit more about Robert Frazier. Now, Bob Frazier is on a mission to help investors take advantage of one of the most effective and overlooked avenues of real estate investing, which is residential mortgage notes. Now, as founder and principal of Aspen Funds, Bob has purchased more than 1,000 mortgage notes earning double-digit returns without the risk and volatility of traditional investing options. Let's go ahead and jump into this conversation. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall, along with my co-host, Bruce Weiner. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. As an attempt for us to continue to educate our listeners on different aspects of money, of finance, and economics, we are proud to have Bob Frazier here today to talk about other things that are available instead of the, the uh, typical stock market. Um, where people uh, tend to tend to turn today. Now, <clears throat> this will be uh, for educational purposes only. So we want everybody to also consult their own CPA investment advisor, and that we are not necessarily endorsing what Bob has, but we have done some research with Bob, and we are confident he's going to add a lot of value to the show today. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that, Bruce. And without further ado, we have a special guest, Robert Frazier, with us today. Bob, welcome to the show. Hi, Rachel. Pleasure to be here with you. Excellent. Well, as we jump into this conversation, we want to get kind of a feel for who you are before Aspen Funds. So tell us about who you are as a person and what led up to the creation and the start of Aspen Funds. All right. Well, first of all, father of five. So they're, yeah, they're and they're all they're all killing it. So that's fine. But uh, oh, I actually nice. computer scientist from Berkeley. Um, nice. Sorry about that, but you know, <laughs> and, uh, um, ended up starting a a uh, venture capitalized tech firm in uh, in the mid '90s and became a big deal. We ended up raising millions of dollars in venture capital. I ended up winning the Ernst Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. So the thing really blew up. And then nice. we got caught in the, uh, in the tech rack. And, you know, I lost everything. Mm. And uh, so, so it was kind of a real, you know, learning lesson in a positive way, but also in a negative way. Um, after that, um, started a hedge fund. We really, you know, started, went into the stock market again, looking for, looking for those, those outsized returns. And 
got caught in the uh, in the in the you know the great crash. And mm-hmm. so after that, I was kind of looking for something that had a little bit more control. You know, you know, yeah. you're not just subject to the winds that are blowing out there, but you actually control what's happening. And um, and uh, met my partner uh, Gemma Fuccio, and we started Aspen Funds in 20, 2012. And just absolutely love the business model. It is something that we, we can generate great returns. We're having a blast, and um, and we're definitely in the driver's seat um, versus versus the stock market. That's excellent. So tell us a little bit about your role specifically with Aspen Funds, and then what does Aspen Funds offer to investors? Uh, we we have we have four investment funds. Um, uh, three growth funds and one income fund. And my, my role is really the, the capital side as well as operations side. So I'm responsible for, for managing, you know, our investors, doing the reporting, analytics, portfolio management, as well as just all operations. So I'm, I'm kind of the, the money and operations guy. My, my partner, Jim, is the chief investment officer. So he's the one that designed our, our models. Nice. Nice. Okay. So, um, so Aspen funds offers growth funds and income funds, uh, specifically talk about what you are providing within those funds. I know that this has to do with mortgage notes. So tell us how yeah. you've married those together. It's, it's just such a very cool model. What we've developed, I'll talk about our income fund. So what we do is we, we, you know, everybody's familiar with rental real estate, right? You buy real estate, you collect rents and, you know, you earn income on that. And I did that for a while and was very disappointed with, you know, the amount of work required, the, the returns were never what I was hoping they would be. And so today it's, it's kind of similar. We, we actually buy mortgage notes and we hold those notes and, and we collect the payments. Um, and we send that money to investors. So we pay every month, we pay, you know, eight and a half percent in cash. Well, not, you know, eight and a half percent annualized. We pay every month in cash and we own these notes. So when the borrowers, we're the bank. So when the borrowers send their payments in, you know, uh, we're, we're lien lords rather than landlords, if, if you will. So it's a very cool model. We end up being able to buy our, our mortgages at significant discounts. Um, so we're buying at anywhere from 20% discount, believe it or not. So a hundred thousand dollar note will buy at $80,000 and that enhances the returns. We also, we can buy down as low as 50% discounts. So mm-hmm. we're buying a hundred thousand dollar note for $50,000, which effectively doubles your yields. And then when that loan is refinanced, so the borrower, uh, refinances their house or sells their house, we get paid the full amount. So we actually earn capital gains as well. It, it's a it's a crazy cool model. Um, the other the other really really unique thing about this. So so we're we're giving our investors really high returns, and you know I was talking to one guy who runs a really great alternative you know real estate investment, but he's got a ten year lockup, and mm. who wants to be an investment for ten years? Think about that. You know, you know I'm I'm fifty nine, so I'm going to be sixty nine years old before I can access this money. Who who's who's really ready to bite that off? Well. So because we have this, we have pool right now, 307 notes in our, in our fund, well, we have about, uh, you know, three to, to, to six of those pay off every quarter where they get refinanced or, or, or they get um, sold. 
Well, we get the cash coming back. So we have a liquidity program. It's internal liquidity program. We don't have to sell anything. We don't have to, we don't have to you know, go into the stock market and sell shares. We can just return cash to our investors. Um, so we have a liquidity program built in. So it's kind of the, kind of the best of all worlds. You know, um, you know, I actually started it from a, you know, post my hedge fund days, and we just started this business. And a friend of mine, had a, had a settlement, a cash settlement. He's trying to raise his family and earn income. And he knew I was, you know, successful in the stock market. He says, Bob, what can I do to earn income in the stock market? And I'm like, good luck, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) What do you do? You know, dividend paying stocks that don't pay very much. Yeah. No, they don't. Okay. EQR, super popular real estate REIT, right? 3.5%. I think it's yielding. But it's had, get this, seven drawdowns since 2000 of 20% or more and two drawdowns of 50% or more. So t- twice you're having this heart attack moment where you're, you're losing half of your capital. You know, I, you know people, people say, you know, I, I just don't know why people would want to do something like that. It's just such a roller coaster ride and a heart attack, you know, mm. and in order to earn 3%. And so, you know, I, I went back and I said, you know, I think I could put something together buying these discounted notes. And I did. And he was our, he became our first investor. That's excellent. So Bob, uh, I, I, the the liquidity part is um, interesting um, and it's kind of unique in this world. Um, It is. But although it's always nice to have that in your back pocket, but at, at the distribution you're getting, you're probably getting people just reinvesting or not. They're not, they're not actually li- um, liquidating. No, they're holding it. Yeah. They're, they're holding they're, it. Most of our investors yeah. are holding, holding it for cash flow. We're, right, we're, right. And we're, they're going to check in the mail, you know, right. every month. Who doesn't yeah, so, like that? You know, so I, I don't, I don't want to say that that's not good because it's always good that you can get your money. But what I'm trying to get the listeners to understand is, you probably not. You're not going to liquidate because you're getting such a good distribution. That's that's so true. But everybody wants to be, you know, know if hey, you got to buy a house or 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 something like that. You know, in fact, my my son, my uh, third son, just took his money out because he wanted to buy an Airbnb. I'm like, well, I don't think you're going to get the same returns as I'm giving you, but go for it. Right. right and he right. took his money out. You know, and um, he'll be back. You know, <laughs> and um, can people invest with both qualified and non-qualified money in this? Absolutely, um, it's actually very, very, uh, very conducive for for uh, qualified investment. Investment, um, it's great option for that. And uh, just so our listeners, uh, we've we've uh, actually done the definition of qualified and non-qualified before, but just so people know that non-qualified money, you've already paid taxes on it. And so uh, when you put this in, then you'd only have to pay taxes on any gains that you uh, get on it. The non-qualified would be in what people would call the traditional tax-deferred accounts, uh, your 401ks, your IRAs, your 403Bs, so on and so forth. Um, how about UBIT generation? Any UBIT generation? Zero. So for our listeners, uh, UBIT is unrelated business uh, income. Um, and you could with the wrong um, placement, not that it's necessarily bad that you're actually paying this, but it's a surprise for a lot of people that get into certain investments in in a qualified account. And all of a sudden uh, they do generate these 
um, expenses. You get a tax bill. Yeah, you got to pay taxes on, tax your, bill, on your IRA. And you, haven't, and you haven't realized it yet. So that yeah. actually, I think, is actually good. So that I'm glad to hear that. Um, so. Actually, well, and, and on Bruce, that just note, to go. Yeah, Sorry, I was going to ask you a question, and it's probably the same one you're about to go into, Bob, but you talk about growing the money tax-free in these accounts. Is that right? Yes. So you can definitely do that in a, in a tax, tax-free tax account like an IRA or something like that, but it's also very tax-efficient. Um, both funds, our, our growth fund, I believe, uh, generates around 80% of its returns as long-term cap gains. And our income fund, believe it or not, even there, it's still about 30% long-term cap gain. So it's very tax efficient, um, even if it's outside of a, you know, IRA. So you're talking about uh, buying some of these notes uh, as little as 20 cents on the dollar, if I heard you correctly. Um, and then some of them are... About the 20, for the income fund, it's 20% discount. So 80 cents on the dollar. Oh, or oh, down yeah, as low okay. as 50 cents on the dollar, generally, for the income fund. For the growth fund, we do buy at 20 cents, but that's so, a different strategy they haven't talked about. So typically then these mortgage notes, you're in senior position, correct, or a preferred position? It's, it's, a, it's a mix. So I actually, I actually prefer seconds, and I'll tell you why. Yeah, good, because I, I, I saw this on your bio <laughs> and, I'd like to, and, and the website, and I'd like to know why you preferred seconds. Oh, okay, well, let's do a little exercise, okay? A little exercise. So $300,000 house, right? And there's a, I, you can buy a $100,000 senior mortgage yielding 4%, okay? And I can pay $100,000 to buy a $100,000 mortgage yielding 4%, okay? So I'm gonna, you know, it's probably a very safe investment that's gonna earn 4%. Um, I can buy a second, a $100,000 second, that's yielding 7%, okay? And, uh, and I can buy it at a 50% discount. So I'm earning a 14% yield on my second. And I would argue that it's just as protected or close to the, to the first mortgage because of the equity position in the house. And what's more, so I paid $50,000 for a $100,000 mortgage. Now, if this guy ends up refinancing, I'm going to actually have a, I'm going to double my money. Okay, so the first mortgage, while so traditional thinking, this is where, you know, I love the way you guys think. It's entrepreneurial, it's out of the box. You know, I, you know there's so much, you know, traditional money management is, is kind of brain dead in, in mm -hmm. some ways. They don't think about things like this. You know, why, when is a second actually better? Well, there are times when it is. Now there's times when it isn't, you know, but there's times when it is. So we love, we have about, uh, about, uh, you know, I think about three-fifths of our portfolio in seconds and about two-fifths in firsts. So we do love firsts, you know, and we, we even, we buy those at a discount as well, but they don't have as much upside when they pay off, but they're high, very, very, very safe, of course. Um, so we like, a, we like a blend. So, so can you go back for a second? I just want to pause on this trajectory. And can you go back and for a listener who might be saying, okay, you're talking about mortgage notes. What does it mean to be a lien lord and how it, am I investing in the mortgage note and not the property itself? Can you just go super bare bones basic? Absolutely. Okay. So you go and buy a house, you get a loan, the bank holds that loan. What people don't realize is the mortgage market is a very, very liquid market. You ever, you ever all of a sudden you're paying your mortgage and you get a notice in the mail, hey, start paying this guy instead of that guy. 
All the well, time. Well, that yes. loan was sold to another bank. So these loans are sold. Well, we buy these loans. So we're, we're, we, we just go buy them. And so we become the bank. And so you send your payments to us. It's really no different. And all that legalese that you signed in your mortgage, all that fine print, that's now our fine print. It's you're very, very protected as a, as a bank, okay? And uh, so we become the bank. It's great. Uh, so then so, you own the note on the home, and yes. then the mortgage is coming to you or that's to right. the fund, to Aspen Funds. That's right. So, then when you talk about being uh, in the, as the investor in a first position or second position, explain that. Okay. So typically you buy a, you buy a house, you'll get a, a, a loan on that house. That's a, typically a first position lien. And then maybe later you will go and, uh, you know, get a home equity line of credit or something like you'll take a second lien out. And so the second lien, you know, you'll take some cash out, um, and a lot of times people originate liens in, as a first and a second, by the way, as well, um, simply because they have the first lien at 80, 80% LTV and, you know, maybe another smaller second lien that takes it up to a 90% LTV. And you get better rates by doing that. So, so sometimes both are originated at the same time. But a second lien only gets um, leftovers after the first lien is satisfied in a, in a sale or foreclosure or something like, like that. So the first lien gets 100% taken care of before the second lien gets a dime. So it's, it's quite, quite a bit, you know, quote, riskier. Um, but again, risk is all, is all you know, if, if, that, if there's a, a, only a dollar in front of you, you know, or $10 in front of you as a first lien, the second lien is not any riskier. So, so risk is really very, it's a huge scale of risk. It's relative. Seconds. Yes. Risk is and, relative. And yes. And, and it's, it's, you know, it can go anywhere from just as safe as a first to terribly unsafe. So, you know, massive scale uh, of safety where firsts are much, much smaller uh, risk scale, you know. So, and then from that position, so you're talking about the first and second position mortgages and the risk level. You also mentioned earlier about having equity in the property. Can you talk about how you're finding mortgage notes that are profitable for you? I'm assuming that there are profitable ones and unprofitable ones to be included in these funds. Um, so you mentioned, as I was looking over some, some things about Aspen funds, you mentioned that you typically are looking in the American heartland um, and you're, you're talking about discounted notes as well. How is that a part of figuring out which mortgage notes to purchase? Yeah, sure. We well, we buy all over the United States, so not not just the Midwest, but we do like the Midwest um, because it really hasn't it it doesn't have uh, a housing bubble as as much, um, and the price to rent ratio um, it, it's it's amazing. So the rents are double a P and I payment. Um, so so think about that. So I've got an investor, uh, I've got a borrower rather in his house. Um, he's paying me you know, $400 a month as a P&I payment. But if he left, if he quit paying that, he left the house, he's going to have a rent payment that's double. It's not going anywhere. Right. Okay? So, so we, we look at things like that that create stickiness. Um, um, so we, we definitely, we have, a, we have a very, very sophisticated underwriting model. We actually, for the financial nerds out there, we do a discounted cash flow. We look at every possible scenario, exit scenario for a note. Um, we do a discounted cash flow for each scenario, and we weight those in, based on probability, based on the equity position, 
the borrower's um, uh, credit scores and lots of things. So we have a very, very sophisticated underwriting model and uh, that tells us what price to pay for a note. So I would argue there's no such thing as a bad note. There's only such thing as a bad price. So, so we bid on these notes. We buy, we buy them from banks, hedge funds, private investors, and, um, you know, uh, like I say, do, do very, very safe. Under, very, we underwrite very carefully. I, I see. So you would then end up paying less for a riskier mortgage, correct? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. And, and oh, yeah. so then you would also pay less for a mortgage that has less equity. In the property. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So our, our yields, you know, we, we might buy a low equity note. We, we really don't buy zero equity notes. Uh, there's too much risk there. But Especially for, for in the, the second position, very, right? What's that? Especially in a second position, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, but we, we do buy low equity notes, but we're, we're going to get a 25% yield on those things. Um, so, the, so again, the risk is it's risk adjusted, right? And we don't buy a lot of those. You know, we 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 know they're you know they can go south. So, uh, but getting a twenty five percent return, it doesn't take long before they're that that note's paid for. And again, on those notes, especially, we look at the at the P and I versus rent ratio. How sticky is this borrower? Right? They've got a family. They've got you know um, this has been their home for ten years. They're not going anywhere if the rents are double. But they're paying me. What are they going to do? You mm -hmm. know, they're not going to hand, hand the keys over. So, so we're very, we, we look at non-traditional underwriting metrics that are real. Um, okay. And go ahead, Bruce. There's another question that I have fitting into that, but you go ahead because I know you were on a trajectory with your questions as well. Well, one of the things I wanted, I, you know, I should have done this at the very beginning, but um, the, this is for accredited investors only, correct, Bob? Yes, it is. And so, and so accredited investors would be an individual with $200,000 or a family with $300,000 or $1 million of uh, liquid net worth and with the expectation that they would continue to make that kind of money in the near future. So um, one of the reasons, what I find interesting is that one of the reasons that uh, accredited investor is also needed for this is because of the lack of liquidity, but we're already, we're already, explain that there's quite a bit more liquidity in this than, than under a normal, I guess this is a reg D um, situation. That's right. Yeah. So uh, I just want to get that out in the open in case somebody get, gets too excited, Rachel, about calling Aspen funds. And <laughs> right. Not a yeah. No, and I'll make sure that that's in the um, introduction to this as well. But yes, yeah, so this is for accredited investors only. And then do you have a minimum investment as well? Yeah, the minimum is fifty thousand, um, and uh, you know, and, and I am hopeful that the government, you know, they, they changed with the Jobs Act. They actually introduced a Reg A plus offering. They 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 changed a lot of things with crowdfunding. I'm hopeful, and there's a lot of talk about changing the accreditation kind of numbers to to re lower the bar. You know, it's kind of re you know, honestly, is money really the main thing? Shouldn't it be? You know, if somebody's got a good education and they know what they're doing. Shouldn't they be able to do this if they have the ability to research it themselves? Should it really be only rich people can? Bob, Bob I'm so glad. Now we, now we can get into the part that you said before the show that you wanted to get into. Now you're going to get me going <laughs> on that. My clients are just absolutely astonished when we start going into the regulations of this where they can't, they can't put in the state of Missouri and then, and then the, and then the, uh, 
the regulations in every state is different for alternative investments also. Yeah. And so here in the state of Missouri, we cannot put any more than 30% of a person's liquid portfolio into an alternative investment and no more than 10%. Yeah. One, one. And I have clients that just get outraged because they get such great returns on these and yeah. great uh, tax efficient returns. And they say, who is it right. that the government can say what I can and cannot, you know, invest? In? Exactly. The nanny, nanny state, you know, really, they're so much smarter than we are, you know, you well, know, it's obvious that they, they've run up a $21 trillion debt. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you. You know, it, it's, let's let's reduce these regulations. I understand they don't want they want to protect grandma from being t- taken advantage of. Right. I get that. You know, and and you know, let's put let's just make these regulations a little bit smarter. You know, because there's some grandmas that are accredited that should not be investing in alters because they don't understand it. So it's just the wrong metric. It's just the wrong metric. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I think uh, Rachel, you said. You know, we're adults here. We should decide, we should be able to decide what, what level of risk or what level of liquidity we're, we're, we're fine with. Absolutely. Uh, and it, I mean, ultimately, it really comes down to financial literacy and understanding. Exactly. Yes. And so somebody who's willing to do the, do the research and really understand what they're investing in should, yes, absolutely be able to figure out where do they want to put their money. Right. So that's part of the reason we even have these conversations is because we want to make known the the alternatives and the options for someone who might think that right. I didn't even know I right. could put money into something like this. I just thought that the 401k or my SEP IRA and just having a fund manager was the only way to be able to invest. Right. You know, my, my son is a perfect example. He's a 4.0 finance major. He's an MBA, but he's not accredited. He can't mm-hmm. invest in these things. You know, he analyzes them. He can write about them, but he can't put a dollar in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just It's just so silly. Come, well, on. I have Come on, DC, do something. Make a change, guys. Get with it. This is the 21st century. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah so it, it, it comes down to a cash flow issue, too. Like, I, I work with, with a lot of people that have pen, pensions, whether it's first responders mm. or whether it's uh, educators. Well, if you're getting a $3,500 a month um, pension, which is $4,200 a year, um, but you don't, you're not an accredited investor on the income side, but you might have amassed, you know, done a good job of getting four or $500,000 of liquid net worth, but you cannot use that $42,000 as part of your asset. Oh, wow. Your income calculation. Yeah, wow. your income calculation. Yeah. And it's, nah. it, it just, um, it's another situation where uh, people are get they get frustrated by being treated like, they don't know anything and, and uh, they get very, very frustrated with it. I totally agree. Well, there is talk about changing it. So, you know, let's, uh, let's press our congressman to do so. Yeah. We have a really good congresswoman in the state of Ann, uh, Ann Wagner, and she, she's pressing for a lot for this. So I'm, ho- I'm hopeful for this. Where are you located, Bob? Kansas city, Missouri. Oh, well, I'm in St. Louis. So okay. <laughs> I didn't realize right. that. That's wonderful. I'm a little further. I'm out in Virginia, but uh, you guys are in the heartland, in the cool part of the country there. Paradise on earth. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah don't, don't tell people. We don't want people moving here. <laughs> uh, so, Bob, let's talk a little bit more about the notes that you're working with. And um, we can also, we can jump all over we, where we want in this conversation. But are you, you're 
primarily focused on residential mortgage notes, not commercial. Is that right? hundred percent. And why is that? Uh, we commercial is much more um, much more cyclical with just the with the uh, with the economy. Um, home sweet home is right. People need a place to live regardless of what's going on with the economy. So it's much more stable, and we're also bite sized So we we can it gives us the liquidity. We have hundreds and hundreds of notes. We don't have one note or mm. three notes. So it gives us just a lot of options. Um, we know that space. There's a lot of support, a lot of vendors in the housing area and the mortgage space. So it's just very well defined. You know, the laws are well defined. So it, it's just a great space to be in. And it's something that there's, no, you know, I, I don't know anybody else doing what we're doing. That's great. So when you were talking then about the types of mortgage notes that you are holding, are you looking at foreclosures? Is that something that you're including in the portfolios or not? Well, remember foreclosures are property. So, so we don't own property. So we'll, we'll only buy notes and, and we, we want to see a pay history in those notes. So, okay. um, you know, but we, we do buy, we do buy based on the asset. So, so a lot of times, for instance, um, a lot of, a lot of borrowers stop making their payments on their note. Um, they end up getting a, what's called a loan modification. So they work, the bank works with them and changes the terms of the note or whatever. And then they start paying again. And I can show you on the FDIC.gov uh, website, you know, $7 billion in second liens that are in troubled debt restructure, it's called, in compliance with their terms, meaning they're paying, mm. but it's troubled debt restructure. And you know once Troubled debt restructure, always troubled debt restructure. It never becomes a good loan again, ever. Oh, <laughs> I'm like, okay. I hate these things. Well, I love them. And just because someone had trouble once doesn't, you know, they had a medical crisis or divorce, doesn't mean they're, they're bad lab. Short-term disability. And it doesn't mean it's a bad property, okay? So if there's, if there's 50% equity in this property, I'm in, you know? And, and if, if there's any kind of affordability, you know, they want to keep their home, I'm, I'm going to buy that loan. So again, the traditional metrics for underwriting this stuff are just kind of brain dead. And so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways that, uh, you know, we can underwrite these things that make sense um, that, is, that is really outside of the traditional box. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's so interesting to be able to ask these questions because I know I don't think of mortgage notes as the first investment tool when I think about alternative investments. I'm, you know, right. I think most people are thinking, it, there's a property I can invest in the real estate itself and have cash flow right. from that property. And so I think it's, more maybe outside of the box or less common, less known. And so I think it's really important to be able to talk about different ways that you can profit from real estate in a different way than maybe you. Absolutely. And I was, I was a landlord for a while and I'm, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm allergic to being a landlord right now. You know, <laughs> it was, I think there was always some kind of maintenance issue and I, I swear I put more money into that, you know, end up, I ended up so underwater because I, you know, didn't know what I was doing, buying the real estate and, and oh gosh, it's just so painful. I mean, it doesn't, every holiday, you know, you know, <laughs> fixing a roof or a leak or an appliance and I don't need any of that. Mm. So it's so much more scalable being a lean lord. I mean, when is the last time you called your bank because you had a plumbing issue? 
you know. Yeah, and, like uh, never, right? <laughs> never. Yeah, you don't expect your bank to help you with anything, you know, <laughs> which is great, you know. So, you know, you just send send them the money, you know. And so it, it's a great business, you know. There's a reason why the tallest buildings in the city have banks' names on them, you know. Oh, sure. It's a really good business to be in. And, um, and we talk about that regularly as well, just that banking or being in a position of being able to be like the bank where you have the capital, you have the cash flow, you have the interest coming to you. I mean, that's the ideal position that any person really wants to be in so that you can absolutely. be the person with the more guarantees and, and less risk. And I just want to say you guys are proponents of the infinite banking model. And I just want to say that's for any listener that doesn't know what that is, go talk to these guys and figure out what that is because it is, it's a way to get on the other side of the debt equation, right? The, you know, mm -hmm. uh, earning interest rather than paying interest. And it's absolutely brilliant. So I, I just, I was so excited when I first learned about it and uh, everybody, everybody should do it. Well, well, go ahead, Bruce. Well, I was just thinking, one of the things, the concepts that Todd Lankford, I don't know if you're familiar with Todd Lankford or not, Bob, but um, when you're talking about being the bank instead of uh, using a bank, now we have to use a bank for everyday transactions, you know, right. whether, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, writing a check or using a credit card to pay for something. But uh, Todd would often say, you know, the difference between uh, 4% and 5%, people would say, well, that's just 1%. And, and, and in the context here is, you know, bank might, might pay somebody four. they don't do this anymore, but they might pay somebody 4%. To, to bring their money into the bank and then they lend it at 5%. And a person said, well, yeah, the bank only made 1%, but no, they made 25% on their money because 1% of four is 25%. That's, that's right. And so that's what you're doing with these notes also is you're accelerating this when you're buying them at a discount because that's all you're doing. You're buying, buying the notes and then you're uh, using the, uh, the note as an income generator for your investors. And that, because Absolutely. I can, I can hear some of the people out there of our listeners saying, I don't get these returns when you're, when you're um, getting a second and then you're, or even a first position and it's a 4% note. I don't see how you can be pr pr producing these returns. So can you yeah. explain that a little bit better than I just explained? Sure. All right. Here's, here's a real example. $110,000 house in upstate New York. Okay. Little tiny house. Um, it's a, he, uh, he owes $100,000 on, he's got $100,000 first lien on that. He's paying 7%, okay, on that note. Okay, well, that's a good investment if I paid 100,000 for it maybe, you know, but I actually paid 50,000 for that note. Hold it to this day, he's been paying for five years now. So I get $429 a month, I think it is. Um, and, but because, so it's a 7% coupon, but because I paid, half, I paid 50 cents on the dollar, I'm earning 14% on that. Okay. So that's the way I'm getting these kind of yields. You know, we, we really look, we buy down into 11% yield. We really won't buy anything below an 11% yield um, on a, on a cost basis. Um, but in the cool thing about it, so we just get like clockwork, you know, $429 a month. Um, until he refinances or sells that house, then we're going to get a hundred thousand dollar payoff. But we only paid fifty thousand for it, so guess what? I'm earning fourteen percent until I I get a double. You know what's wrong with that? You know, 
That's right. a, just a killer business. So that's the kind of thing we do all day long. We buy these, we buy these, uh, those kind of notes. So that's a, that's a first. Second is very similar. And uh, there's, there's uh, two other points that I'd, I'd like to bring up is, and you mentioned this briefly earlier, where are you sourcing these from? Um, are you, you have special relationships with banks or mortgage companies that's saying, hey, I can't handle this anymore, and they're, and they're uh, offering these to you, or how are you sourcing these on a regular basis? We, we, have, we have about uh, half a dozen major sources and major different types of notes. We just bought from a big, uh, you know, we just bought from Deutsche Bank uh, a bunch of notes. Um, so we brought, we buy troubled debt restructures, as I just said. So again, this is where a borrower had some trouble. Doesn't mean it's a bad loan, just means the borrower had trouble. Doesn't mean they're going to have trouble. Okay. Um, we buy, we buy seller, seller originated seller finance notes. So a lot of these, um, a lot of these are, um, you know, seller financing where somebody did a carry back. So they sell the property to a friend that kind of thing, you know, and they want to help the friend out. So they carry the note back, but they don't want the note. So they end up selling it to us. Um, that kind of thing. We also, there's also, we buy from hedge funds that end up buying, uh, buying a whole pools of notes from, from, uh, banks. They, they, uh, mod these notes and then sell them to us. We buy, there's a, there's a, there's hedge funds that are buying properties. They're rehabbing properties they, they end up doing seller financing originations. So they sell the property with seller financing in place. And, that, and, um, and uh, we buy those notes. So we buy from every, lots of different sources. So, okay, now the other, this is a more difficult one, but I always have to ask this of our uh, guests. This sounds like the greatest thing in the world. So what are the potential downfalls or the things that people should look for not the only risks. Risk, yeah. yeah. Right. Not only from Aspen, but from other other places. And and we understand that um, you know, you're gonna have uh, an opinion on this, but we 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 find most people are are brutally honest about the risk involved in these. Yeah, you know, look, I've been through I've been through the SNL crisis, you know, maybe you have two Bruce, you know, I don't I think remember, Rachel yeah. really knows what that is, but you know, actually you probably know, but I do. I went through the dot-com crisis. I went through the great recession. I've been through mm. three, uh, you know, yeah, four major cycles. Okay. Um, so I'm to the best of my ability. I have built a hardened portfolio here. That's that's that manages high yields, but also, you know, harden, but the risks are real. And, you know, we saw during the, during the great housing cry, crash, we saw prices drop 35%, okay, across the United States. So that's risk number one. So I try and have very, very uh, low um, ITVs investment to value, meaning my cost relative to the price of that home. I love that to be in the 65% range. So that if, the housing does crash another 35%, which I do not believe it's going to do, by the way. And I can actually, I can tell you why. It's actually, I'm a, you know, I'm an analyst, I'm an economist, you know, and so I don't think it's going to happen. But if it does, I'm still okay. So the biggest risk is housing price crash. So besides having equity as a, as a safety there, there is home sweet home. Just because, you know, if your house goes underwater, Bruce, you know, are you going to hand the keys back? You know, right away, probably not. Why? Because you live there. You know? mm -hmm. so, so this is home sweet home. You got kids, maybe they're in school, you got a job, you got, you know, 
grandparents you're, you're taking care of, you just can't pull up. So, so we love home sweet home. The other risk is economic risk, meaning, meaning the economy, uh, separately from the housing price crash. So housing prices, you know, I, I think are less of a risk to our business model than just the general economy. So if the economy has a big recession, massive layoffs, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, I don't know if you're tracking some of the unemployment statistics. Do you, do you realize that we are now setting a record every month for low unemployment rates in the blacks? Amongst, amongst African-Americans, amongst Hispanics, and the general populace. Yeah. Well, that means, you know, you know, that's great for me. But if we ever had a, had a situation where unemployment rates are back up in the, you know, 10% area, that's trouble because people, people that don't have jobs can't pay for their homes, you know. Mm-hmm. So those but are the Rob- two major risks is recession risk and housing price risk. Well, you know. I'd like to bring up a point, though, before you go any further on that is what we're talking about is a non-correlated risk to the stock market. Absolutely. So here, here's the thing. It's, it's impossible to uh, take, take a position where there is no risk. And people say, oh, no, no, I can stick my money in the bank. And, uh, but then you, you actually have uh, inflationary risk there. That's yeah, then right. you look at the devaluation and, of the dollar as a whole. Yeah. And then a person right. says, well, or a person says, I can stick money in my house, uh, house. You know, I can put it into my mattress or something. Well, not only do you have inflationary risk, but you also have risk of it actually burning uh, <laughs> and losing it. Uh, and I, Bruce actually had happened to him. Well, well, no, I, well, I, actually, I, I actually lost my house to a house fire, but I didn't lose. I didn't lose any. You didn't cash. lose the money under the mattress. <laughs> no, no. But but my point is is that we have been we have been uh, conditioned to understand their stock market risk, and they, yeah. and people say if you just stay in it long enough, you know you will prosper. But for some reason, when it comes to other things that are not correlated to the stock market, we don't we don't accept the same boom and bust cycles. Uh, in those, those also, yeah. and and in how the housing market, which whether you hold uh, physical houses or whether you hold notes in those houses, it's the same boom, boom and bust cycle. Yeah, that's right. That's totally right. I couldn't agree more. And uh, you know, and just to just to emphasize the point, uncorrelated means if the stock market dropped ninety percent of its value tomorrow. Okay, my investment is fine because I'm uncorrelated to that. Right, yeah. Right. Now, if the economy or the housing prices drop, you know, now I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little more at risk. But, it, but so uh, yes, again, you're uncorrelated with the stock market. That doesn't mean there's no right. risk. And I think, I, I mean, Bruce, I think you did an excellent job of painting that picture because we certainly don't want to ever say there's an investment you can get into that is zero risk because that is not true. No, absolutely. And Bob, and Bob painted a great picture of, about that. Bob, anything else about the general economy, uh, whether it's the U S economy, the world economy that you'd like to comment on? You know, I actually study this. I've written an economic newsletter for many years, and actually, I'll make it available to your listeners. Um, my my economic deck I adjust for my for my shareholders every every quarter. But the economy, you know, there's a lot of fear out there. But the economy, you know, my opinion, we are not going to have a recession in the next two to three years. Um, not when you look at um, you know, seventy percent of the economy being being a consumer spending, and when you see consumer optimism as high as it is, it's it's setting records right now, um, and you see the unemployment rate as low as it is. And and what I love about this unemployment rate, even the U six rate, which is the broad broad rate, 
it is it is setting records. Um, you know, as I said, African Americans, Hispanics, it's touching everybody, including those those at the really lower end of the spectrum are getting jobs, and people with jobs spend money, and people that are optimistic spend money. So, bottom line is, when you're seeing that kind of metrics, there's simply the recession is simply not possible. Um, with that being 70% of the U.S. economy. So generally, the economy is, is going to continue. Household income, real household income on an inflation-adjusted basis is set, setting records. Um, so it, it's just a real good time for the economy. And again, that's just not going to change. It doesn't change on a dime. So I differ from some of the economic opinion out there, of, you know, recession fears. It's simply not going to happen, not in the next couple of years. Um, I'm also bullish on the housing market, and uh, believe it or not, um, and the people are stunned when I say that. But I I run the numbers, and uh, you know, do you know housing prices are still 25 percent below the peak in terms of inflation adjusted? Mm-hmm. So inflation has kept kept rolling. Housing prices have been in a massive correction, massively upside down, and it's there's still a lot of room for them to run. The, the price to rent ratios, as I've been pointing out, are very, very uh, bullish for housing. Um, single family homes have been massively underbuilt. The, the, this housing starts still are not even anywhere near they were, where they were at, at, at the, in the heyday of the, of the late, late 2000s or the early 2000s. Um, so bottom, bottom line is housing is going to continue to go up. Now, in the coast, I don't think it's going to – I think it's going to more, you know, bump along. Um, but certainly in the Midwest and other lower price real estate, we're, we're seeing a very, very tight market, very, very much a seller's, a seller's market. Well, this is really interesting. About, uh, I'm sorry, Rachel, go ahead. If you had a thought, you're fine. Go ahead, Bruce. Uh, talk a little bit about your educational webinars that are on your site for, for our investors. Yeah, well, we, we have a, we have a webinar that kind of goes, goes through the Aspen funds, um, offerings, um, there. And as I said, I'll also make our economic deck, which is just general, you know, economic analysis, which we update quarterly. Make that available for your for your listeners as well. And uh, the final, the final, the final thing. Then, and Rachel, then you can go ahead with your thoughts. But um, you mentioned, and we've mentioned this before on the about net asset value. So, in I don't want to go through this again in my words because I know coming from somebody else, it'll probably somebody also click with it. So you, can you go over net asset value and the calculations you use for your fund? Okay. Well, we're going to nerd out a little bit here. A little uh, bit. A little bit. <laughs> so net asset value is simply um, what we pay for all of our assets. So s- summed up. So, um, uh, and it's adjusted by any payments the borrowers make. So if they if they pay off a note, well, that reduces, you know, reduces the value of that asset, but increases our cash. So basically, I calculate a net asset value per share every quarter, and that's basically the, the amount of the number of sh- the number of uh, shares owned divided by the total net asset value, which is simply an accounting term, um, and that comes up with a net asset value per share price. And that that is completely uncorrelated to the stock market price. It's set it's by accountants, and um, and you know so that's that's the price at which we allow an investor to redeem at, or or to put new money in at. So every quarter we open the fund, 
and we allow investors to take their money out or put money in, and that's the price. So it's basically accounting-driven price based on our cost. Yeah, it's an accounting-driven, my key, my key point here is an accounting-driven price. It's not a speculation-driven no, price. No, no, it's not a market price. It's not what someone willing to pay for this. If, I think if we put this thing on the stock market, the, the, the price would double, you know, <laughs> because where are you going to earn 8.5% returns, you know, in the stock market, you know, for something. So, you know, and that wouldn't benefit anybody you know, to do that, to have a, you know, the price go up. So we don't, we don't do that. We're not on the stock market. Right. And I brought that point up because this is an educational thing that I don't think enough people realize when they look to get into this alternative world, they look at the net asset value price as being a market price and, yeah, it, no. and, and, and it's not. Not at all. Yeah. It's, so and that, that's why it's not volatile. Else. So our, our price is simply not volatile um, because it's simply based on accounting costs. Now, one of the things I like to tell the listeners, because this is what our um, E3 wealth model here in St. Louis is we do a lot of alternative investments and most of your typical investment pro portfolios are looking for appreciation. So they're looking for, right. uh, they're looking for a model of a market price that they can kind of, you know, beat. Well, I, I you know, if, a, if markets are efficient, I don't know if you can ever really beat a, a market price, but that's that's the that's the game people try to play, but if you're looking for wealth accumulation by income, well, that's when you're looking for something with a net asset value that's kicking off an income for you, and then you just yeah. instead of looking for appreciation, you're looking for income to build your wealth, and it's much more of a steady and in in many people's opinion, much more predictable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can show you my net asset value price, and it's just. It's kind of boring, just, yeah. <laughs> you which know, is which is nice, you know, you know, yeah. I don't give anybody any heart attacks, you know, when they open their statement, you know. That's thankfully. awesome. That's awesome. And I think that really plays into the whole idea as well of building your income from assets. So cash flowing assets, and that's where you build financial freedom. We talk about having time and money freedom. When you have income from your assets that's greater than your expenses, you're in a position where now you can control your time and not have to work, but you can then choose to work and provide that value because you love to and want to do so. So this well, has been so a great. fabulous interview today. I know um, one thing I was going to ask you about, um, there's a question here. What sources are you personally reading for hours every day before you make investment decisions? And I know that this is really going to play into the credibility of Aspen Funds and you guys as you're making these investment choices. Yeah. Well, for whatever reason, I just, I'm a massive consumer of information and uh, I read the Wall Street Journal cover to cover every day. I read uh, The Economist. I read Financial Times. So I really love a global perspective. I read most of the big research reports coming out of the banks um, like JP Morgan and uh, you know, Bank of America. These guys, uh, because I want to Goldman, I want to know what they're thinking about the economy. They're usually very, very smart guys. And so I want to know what they, and, and the more I read, the smarter I get, you know, uh, because they differ in opinions. And mm -hmm. so then it makes me think about, wait, well, who is, who's right and why? Um, and then I spend a lot of time actually do my own research. I, I spend a lot of time on the, on the Federal Reserve economic data uh, website, uh, uh, getting my own data. And I, and I chart that and change the trends uh, or chart the trends over time to see what's changing. Um, because the, the truth is, 
it doesn't change that rapidly. The stock market goes up and down. It's hugely volatile, but the economy is just this massive, massive machine. It does not change on a dime. Um, so, you know, I, I, I like to catch the tides, right? Not the waves. I want to know, you know, when the tides come in, all boats float, right? Mm -hmm. And when tides go out, all, all boats hit the, hit the ground. So I really pay a lot of attention to the, to the large macroeconomic forces is what I'm looking at. But I, I love reading like, like this and uh, getting diverse opinions and really thinking through who's right and why. That's excellent and really says a lot about you as a person as well. So thank you for sharing that today. My pleasure. So how can someone reach out, connect with you, connect with Aspen Funds and find out more or get information about investing with you? Uh, we'll, we'll give you some links to post on the show notes for, for, your, for this podcast. And, uh, and our website is aspenfunds.us. And uh, we have all that information there. And we'll, we'll post a special link for your listeners as well um, that, uh, where they can access this, the, the economic forecasts and other things. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. And in closing, is there anything that you would like to share with us about you personally and your experience in building time and money freedom or building a life and business that you love? Yeah. You, you know, I just, I'm a big Warren Buffett fan. And he just, his, his most recent letter, you know, I thought was just fantastic. You know, there's so much fear out, out there. And I, I think fear is our biggest enemy, um, you know, from making money. There's always something to be worried about, okay? <laughs> always. And it's never been any different, right? You know, the economy, the, the, the Washington, D.C., you know, the Russians, the Chinese, who knows, right? Let's just buy gold and let's just stick it in the ground. Well, it ends up not being a very good investment over time. Yeah. You know, I've learned that lesson personally. Out. Yes. Yeah, he said in the last seventy-seven years, had you had you foreseen the the rise of the national debt and the and and these things and put put your money into gold, you would have one percent of what you had 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 you simply invested in the stock market. In mm. in spite of multiple wars, you know, I think he said seven Democrats and seven Republicans. You know, in spite of impeachments and pilot, you still would have had had a hundred times more money in the stock market. There's, there's just, and that's, and we're, you know, I'm not, I'm not telling anybody to get in the stock market, but the point is, get in the, get in the game, get in the system, right? Don't just hide out. So that's what I would say. Don't fear is your enemy. Fear is your enemy. Get out there, you know, make some good choices, make a mistake or two, and. Uh, move forward. And it sounds like they're not mistakes when you learn the lesson. So I like That's that. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much to you, Bob Frazier, for being with us on the show today. And absolutely, we'll have those links in the show notes and ways that you can get in touch with Bob and also with Aspen Funds to find out more. So in closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. 
Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on the moneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.